Good morning. Please join me in the reading of the, uh, Isaiah 52, verses 7 through 9. You can find that in your pew Bible on page 779. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes great peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing uh, for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Thanks for coming here on this holiday. Uh, since we're confessing about things and, you know, marriages and stuff, there were some yelling and shouting at my house, too, yesterday. I mean, screaming, yelling, stomping feet. Started about 11 o'clock. Kind of went crazy when OU got beat by U of H. And then uh, some things got thrown around when A&M ended up winning, luckily. And uh, just tonight, if you drive by our house and the lights are off and you hear a moaning, just keep driving. But if you see me on top of my roof with a Texas flag, just come on over and celebrate or tell people that I go to the Methodist church or something. I whatever you want to do. We are continuing to look at our DNA, our values, before we start back into the story. This summer, we just talked about who we are. Um, we talked about the fact that we worship, that we're about growth, uh, that we're about serving, and we're about connection. Let's talk about connection. Paul gives us one of the best verses about what it means to connect for Christ. If you look at Paul's epistle to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. If you want to turn to that, I don't think we have it up on the screen, but let's listen to what Paul says. Thank you. Let's look at what Paul says about what it means to connect and why we connect. What does it mean to the body of Christ? Here are the words of Paul. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under law, but I might win those under the law. Talking about moralists and people trying to follow the commandments. To those outside the law, the Gentiles, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And here's, the, here's, here's the, the great verse. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And why I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Daddy, he just gets me. He just, he just gets me, said my daughter, sitting in a dorm at A&M five years ago, telling me about this man that she'd met at Canicook, this boy that she felt that was in love with my daughter and that my daughter wanted to be with. I was asking her, what, what is it about Josh? Is he, is he good looking like your dad? Is he, is he rich unlike your dad? Is he, um, is he spiritual? I mean, what is it? And she said, he just gets me. We connect. 
And they do. It's amazing. It's fun to watch. You get us. So two weeks ago, we met with the seniors to talk about this great year for A&O and starting our high school ministry over there. Tiffany and I were talking, and this one girl just said, we said, do you guys come to A&O because of the, of the house or uh, because of my singing or do you come because of, uh, you're like, what do you, why do you come to A&O? And they looked at us and they said, you get us. You guys just get us. We connect. Thank God. It's not always easy to connect. But as we look real quick, just remind you about our four principles this idea that the church, we are about worship. If we don't worship, we're wasting our time. But we want to grow in Christ. If you just keep coming and coming, like Murray says, a caterpillar crawl in and crawl out of the church and never grow, we're missing the boat. We're serving. Man, we're doing amazing things across the parking lot, across the world. We're at Hill of the City. At City. We're doing, we're, we are serving. We've got it. But if we're not connecting with non-believers... With people of different skin color, demographics, language, generations. If we're not connecting, our worship is self-serving. Our servant is, is just to feel good about ourselves. Our growing is ingrown. And like most of the churches in the United States, if we don't connect with other people of other races and other colors and other generations, we will close our doors like many churches in our denomination have done it. We can balance our budget. We can have a pretty church and have nobody coming in just a few years and be like those beautiful, empty, stained glass churches that we saw all over Ireland. We've got to connect with people who aren't like us. It was tough in Ireland. Thank you as a church. We can't tell you enough as a young, as Gap, how much God blessed us and how much we used you to send us on this trip. And there we were. We were trying to connect. All of a sudden, 21 of us are dropped into this countryside villa, like Downton Abbey on steroids. There's this giant house, and there's 21 of us, and there's 85 Irish people from babies to a 95, to an older woman dying of cancer, and everything in between. And here we are, and we're supposed to just serve them. Eight, not, only, not just 8 in the morning, until, until 2.30 in the morning. On the schedule, it said 12.30 a.m. to 2.30, Texas with the high school kids. <laughs> sign me up. I was signed up. And it was, we had to connect. And some of, everyone got a family. Every one of our uh, yeah, people had a family that they served, they took care of. They fed them meals. They brought them meals. They took care of their baby. They took care of them. But about the first day or two, one of a couple of our gap people said, I'm just not connecting. I, 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 they don't get it. I, I'm not getting it. We're not connecting. It was tough. Different worlds. Different, raised in a, in a church-mandated Roman Catholic society. And here are these wild Texans from First Pres. It was tough to connect. And we had the high school. We had the teenagers, the high school, middle school. And it was the first day. And I'm trying to, hey, I'm a youth worker. Hey, look at me. I'm cool. Uh, I've done this all my life. And, and, and I would walk up to high school girls and they just go, and walk away. I get that from my daughter and my wife a lot too, so it didn't hurt me, but. And we tried to, try, try to connect with some of these high school guys in there. Oh, what's your name? Kim. Kim, that's a girl's name. I mean, it, was, they just, it wasn't happening. How are we going to connect with these people? There's just two different continents, two different worlds. How do we connect? How do we get it? And I started looking at these young men, and they all had pocket knives. They all carried knives. So we started talking about knives. Hey, tell me, show me your knife. I'm going to show you my knife. Everyone had, I'm not talking about a little bitty wimpy, they had knives, which was kind of scary. <laughs> and my father-in-law sells knives. So we started talking about knives. So that, that night, we had our first session together. We had our first time with the, the, the kids. And I told them the story of a guy named Jim Bowie that I lived on a street two streets away from Bowie Street. And there's a guy 
named Jim Bowie who made this knife. And we told him the story of the history of Texas, of how Crockett and Bowie ended up in this mission called the Alamo, and how Travis drew a line in the sand and said, if you want to die for Texas, step across the line, and how Jim Bowie had his bed picked up because he was dying and had it carried across and sit on the other side. And the next day as the Mexican army came, they burst into Bowie's room. He was dying, and he had two pistols and two Bowie knives, and they found him dead with all these soldiers around him. And he said, that's what Christ calls us to. He calls us to die for him, to step across the line. And you could have heard a pin drop. We connected. Those Irish kids were like, I get that. I get the battle. I get the fighting. They, they were all about the knife. And so the next morning, I, I, I did some things. And I, I was walking across the camp, and these, all these people came up and said, Lee is looking for you. Lee is looking for you. And I remember Lee was the leader of these guys. Lee is a big kid. I'll show you his picture in a minute. Lee's a big, almost 300-pound kid. He's kind of the leader of this gang. And they said, Lee is looking for you. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> does he have a knife? <laughs> they go, he does. He does have a knife. Lee was so excited about that story, he paid someone to drive all the way, an hour away to his city and get his Bowie knife, Bowie knife that he had. And he came back and he said, look at my, my Bowie knife. I'm like, that's great. Keep it over there. That's nice. <laughs> he was so excited. And from then on, we connected. We talk, and there's Lee in our picture of our missionaries. Lee is the big guy in the red. Notice what Lee has on. Lee has on his American t-shirt we bought him. He has on his American bandana. He has on my Lone Ranger hat and a Texas flag that said, Lee was all in. We connected, do you think? We had to tell him he couldn't get on the bus to go home with us. He wants to come on. We connected. And he started asking questions with his buddies. And when they saw Lee open up, they started asking questions. What do you mean a relationship with Jesus Christ? What does it mean? What do you mean? What about drinking? What, what about abuse? Because there's a lot of abuse in this situation. What about, and they began at night with our folks and at those camp, campfires talking about the gospel. They were stunned to hear about a personal relationship. They were stunned when we baptized Nikki. Never had seen an adult baptism in their life. Never seen an immersion. They began asking questions. We connected. Then there's this little kid. So a knife. We connected with a knife. But then let's talk about music. There's this little boy named Tommy. And Tommy was, he didn't fit in with the rest of the kids. Tommy had long hair. And he told his mom, Gemma, Mom, I just don't get along with those other boys. I don't play football. They're, they're jocks and I'm not. He's kind of a hippie kid. And he's wandering camp by himself. And he finds this American boy dressed like a hippie because he is a hippie. He lives in Denver. I know him well. And my son Blake says, Tommy, what do you like? What are you into? And he says, rock and roll. Like Led Zeppelin. And my son starts playing Led Zeppelin. And they connect. And the rest of the week, every single day, Tommy's like, where's Blake? Where's Blake? Where's Blake? Where's Blake? And there they are with Tommy, with Millie Rose, Tommy's sister. Connecting. They get it. My son got to show Jesus to Tommy and Millie Rose. And then there's these moms, these tough moms that came to camp. Many of them single moms. Many absentee dads. And here they are at this camp with all these kids. And we're, can't even hardly understand some of their, like, because they these wonderful accents. How do we connect? How do we talk to these moms? And then there's Anna, who starts sharing, Anna Esther, with these moms about her children. Starts tearing up a little bit of how she misses Lena and Ender and Will a little bit. <laughs> and she starts sharing about her children, and there they are, sitting in front of the camp, laughing and talking about children. That's connecting. That's getting it. When they understand that we got it, be it over a knife or some rock and roll music 
or, or being a parent, we began to connect and lives were changed. They kept saying, you get me. And that's what Paul is saying. We have to connect to the Jews. He said, I'll become a Jew. I'll dress like the Jews. I'll eat Jewish food. To the Gentile, I won't eat Jewish food. I won't talk about the Old Testament. I'll talk about what they're talking about. To the weak, I'll become weak. I become all things to all people. I might win some. And that's nothing like the American church. We stay in our groups. We look the same. We talk the same. We act the same. We vote the same. We all are the same. And we're not connecting because we think it's all about us. Paul says, are you willing to be all things to all people? J. Hudson Taylor, a great China missionary, early 1900s. America was sending missionaries over to China. We finally were able to get into China. Year after year, 10 years, no converts. 10 years of American missionaries going over there and trying to share Christ, to connect with Chinese people, the most difficult of all, not one convert. And then a guy named J. Hudson Taylor says, we're doing it wrong. He goes back to America and he grows his hair. This is, <laughs> this is in the 30s. He grows his hair down to his waist and has it braided like the Chinamen in China. He dresses in the traditional Chinese uh, outfit. He wears Chinese shoes. He learns to walk like Chinese men where you don't take big steps. He eats rice and learns to live off a diet of rice for seven years. The Christian churches shook their head at him. The other missionaries who were going over to the White Star Church in their suits and ties and nice shoes with their big King James Bible thought he was a pagan. And he goes over to China. One convert, ten converts, thousands of converts. He began to start a revival with people in China. And in Chinese inland mission that is still going on to this day, 60 years later, because he connected, he gets it. Are we doing that? And there's a biblical pattern here. You can see it all the way through the Bible. You connect, and then you care, and then you share. You have to connect before you can care, and you have to care before you can share. Tony Campolo, who is a great writer, a pastor, he's a Baptist preacher, and he teaches sociology at Eastern College in Philadelphia. And he says, if I want to connect with someone, when I get on uh, the airplane, and someone next to me says, what do you do? I say, I'm a sociology professor. If I don't want to share, I say, I'm a Baptist preacher. (laughs) Just depending on how I feel. How do you connect? How do you care? How do you share? Let's look at three little vignettes in the scripture. We won't go through this, but just real quickly. Let's look at three ways to connect. Water, a book, and a statue. Water, a book, and a statue. So here's this woman. She's a prostitute. She has to go, and you know the story over and over, but look at it again through how Jesus connects with her. She has to come at noon because all of the women in town have shunned her. She's the lady of the night. She's the outcast. She's the unacceptable woman in the church, in the social circles. She has to come by herself in the heat of the day, carrying her own water jar. When it's dangerous because nobody else will go with her because she has been abused and used men's relationships for years. And there she is at this well, And Jesus, who's supposed to go all the way around this half-breed country called Samaria, he goes right through. He's Jesus. He's going to connect. And he comes to the well. Here is a rabbi who's not supposed to talk to women, be seen with women, touch women. Here is a, a Jew, a pure Jew, a rabbi, the son of God, by the way. And he doesn't come up and say, uh, I'm a Jew, you need to leave. 
He doesn't come up and say, you serve me water because you're half read. He doesn't say, I'm the son of God, turn or burn. It's always effective. He doesn't have a megaphone at the corner of culture or wherever, screaming that people are going to hell. Not a great connection device, I might add. He says, how do we connect? How in the universe would I connect with this woman? And he says, can I have a drink? The only thing they have in common is they're both thirsty. They have water. And it breaks down all her defenses. And she's stunned. Why is it that you've been a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan, a rabbi, talking to a whore? Why? How is this happening? He says, are you thirsty? Go get your husband. He's starting to care. He's found a connection. She's talking to him. And he starts to care. She goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, I know. I'm sorry. The guy you're living with is not your husband. You've had five husbands. It's been tough, hasn't it? Relationships are not going real well. I care about that. Are you thirsty? Sounds like you're thirsty. So he cares. And then they start talking religion. She goes, well, I know someday Messiah is coming. And I'm still thirsty. He says, I'll give you water that causes you to never drink. I'm waiting for the Messiah. And she, he says, you're looking at him. He says... You found him. And he wins her over. And she goes and tells, look at this man who knows all about me. We'll see her in heaven. What a great story. Water. They connected. He cared. They shared. She was saved. He won her over because he didn't talk about the differences, about what the voting is, or where part of country you live in, or how much money you make, or what church you go to, or what you look like. He didn't care. He found the one thing. We're a culture of disconnectors. Jesus says we've got to connect if we believe in the body of Christ. If we're really serious about bringing Jesus to others, we've got to find connection, not disconnection. We've got to find common ground, not broken ground. We've got to connect. So here's this eunuch. Here's a black eunuch. He's been castrated so he can work in the house of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He's treasurer. He's multimillionaire for those days. He's got this beautiful gold chariot. He's with an entourage. He's in the wrong side of town. He's in the wrong side of the world. He's out of place. He's going through the Middle East in a golden chariot with his guys carrying him because he is seeking the truth. He goes to Jerusalem. What's going to the Passover? They kick him out. Levitical law says you're unclean. You're not only not a Jew, you've been, you're a eunuch. You can't get into our court. They send him home empty-handed, and he manages to grab a Torah on the way home. Disappointed, disillusioned. Because nobody could connect with him. He's not from here. He's not one of us. He doesn't belong. There's no connection. And God says, go talk to him. So here's Philip. <laughs> I don't have a chariot, so I don't have to run beside you. And they start having this conversation like you're sitting in a stoplight in Amarillo, Texas. What does a Jewish boy, broke as he can be, have in common with this rich, royal, Ethiopian eunuch. What are you reading? What a great question. Hey, what do you got there? I have found more connection and more conversations sitting next to someone, sitting next to a high school kid, a college kid, a person on the plane, say, hey, what are you reading? Tell me about that book. What are you reading? What a great way to connect. Let's find something to connect them. So he says, I'm reading Isaiah. Would well, you mind if I talk with you about that? Hop on up. I would have loved to have seen him jumping into the chariot. And the guy's going, oh, great. There's two of them now. How long is this going to take? And he cares about the guy. The guy's, who's he talking about? I don't understand this. 
He says, can I tell you? Isn't it great to wait till you've connected with someone, you start caring for them, and they say, would you tell me about your Jesus? Instead of us cramming it down people's throat with our politics and our religion, wait until they ask. Wait until they're ready with a gentle reverence, <laughs> with gentleness and reverence, Peter says. You're ready to give a hope for the gospel, an answer for the hope within you. So they start talking. He says, who is he talking about? And he says, well, let me share Jesus with you. And he shares the risen Christ with them. And guess what happens? The most bizarre picture in the New Testament. This royal robed Ethiopian stops his chair, gets out in this dirty water in the Middle East. And here's this Jewish boy. And they baptize him. <laughs> and then whoop, he does a Star Trek thing. Philip's gone somewhere else. Wow. He connected, he cared, he shared water, a Torah, a book, and then a statue. A statue. Paul, the most brilliant of the writers in the New Testament, without a doubt. The most brilliant Jew of his day. The most learned servant of Galamiel. He was the Jew of Jews. He said, I'm not going to stay here. I've got to connect. God sent him to connect with Gentiles, with us, thank goodness. He's walking through Athens, Greece. Anybody been to Athens, Greece? He's walking through Athens, Greece, and he's just looking at all the pagan idols, all the statues, all the polytheism, all the Greek gods, all the, the Hermes and Mercury, and I get my Romans and my Greeks mixed up, but they're all statues. Statues everywhere. And that night, they bring him to this big, big Colosseum, and they want him to talk about what he believes. And he connects. A learned Jewish rabbi converted to Christianity connects with pagan Greek philosophers, the brightest minds of the day. He doesn't say, let me tell you what my Bible says. He doesn't say, I'm a Jew and you're not. You're not chosen. We're better than you. You pagans. He doesn't talk about David or Moses or Abraham because they don't know who they are. It's a different language. He doesn't use Jewish words. He says in Greek, you know, I was walking around your city. Nice city. Good stuff. That Parthenon, that, wow, that's amazing. I know you have a lot of statues. But there's one statue I want to talk to you about. It's this statue that says, to an unknown God. Wow, to an unknown God. Guess what? So these connected statues. I'd like to talk to you about that unknown God. I think I have something for you. I know who he is. I can fill in the blank. Give me a magic marker. How do you spell? I can used to do it in Greek. Jesus. Christo. I know who he is. His name is Jesus. And he tells them about Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, the Son of God. And they believe. And some of them believe, and then some of them try to kill him <laughs> because he's changing the world. Water, a book, a statue. He connects. Are we doing that as a church? Am I doing that as a person? Are we doing that in our groups? If we're not doing that, folks, who cares if we balance our budget? Who cares if we have a beautiful stained glass? Who cares how many mission trips we send people on, how many things we help in Amarillo? We can worship with each other and be a holy huddle. We can grow in Christ and tell each other how wonderful it are and grow in our faith. We can serve and serve and serve. If we're not connecting with people we don't like, with people that we don't live with, with people we don't understand, with generations that are different from ours, we will close our doors. We will be like a lot of other churches because we didn't get it. 
We weren't connecting. We weren't willing to be uncomfortable. If you're going to do this, it's going to be risky. It's going to cost money. It's going to make you uncomfortable. But we have no choice. But why should I connect? He says, to win some. Paul says, why am I connecting? Because I want to win some to Jesus. Why should I connect? Because guess what? The God of the universe, who loved us so much, that he wanted to connect with us, instead of just shouting at us from heaven, or throwing down thunderbolts like the gods, the false gods, or showing up in his glory and blowing us away, Scripture says that he... Even though he existed in the form of God with all of God's power and glory and magnificence, that he who was equal with God did not regard that as important, but he emptied himself and became a man. C.S. Lewis says, God put a suit of clothes on. Max Licato said, God became, God was skin on. He became one of us. So that as John, 1 John says, we could see what God is like. We could hear what God is like. We could touch God. We could connect with the God of the universe because he took on flesh and blood and cried and sweat and wept and was sad and was hungry so he could think we could say he gets us. He gets it. Isn't that great? He gets us. And I have people all the time, young people who've been burned by church, disenchanted, disfranchised, non-believer friends, and they go, this God of yours, he doesn't get it. How can he understand what I've been through? I have a dysfunctional family. You know what my family's like? And Jesus says to him, yeah, my family was dysfunctional. My brothers and sisters tried to cart me off when I started my ministry. They came to the door of a house and tried to carry me away. I get dysfunction. Well, did you know what it's like to lose someone, to, to have someone die? Do you know what it's like to live, grow up in a broken family? Jesus says, yeah. My dad, Joseph, died right after I was, like I was in high school. I was a teenager. I lost, lost my dad. Grew up in a single-parent family. I had to be the man in the house. Just my mom and me and my brother and sisters. Yeah, I get it. Well, you know what it's like to be poor, to be hungry, Jesus? God, you know what it's like to be broken? Yeah, you know when I died, they gambled for my possessions. I, I only owned a robe. That's all I had left. I have a verse in the Bible that says that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 99% of the evenings I spent sleeping outside, I get homelessness. I've been there. I know how to be broke. Well, yeah, you know what it's like to be rejected, to be the outcast, to be cast away from your family or your friends, to be kicked out, to be abandoned? Oh, yeah, I do. I went back to my hometown one time and read the scripture. They tried to throw me off a cliff and kill me in my own hometown. I went to the leaders of my faith, and they tried to kill me. In fact, they did kill me. They rejected me. They followed me around every day and attacked me. I know what it's like to be rejected, an outcast. Well, how about brokenhearted? How about abandoned? How about betrayed? Oh, yeah. I lived with 12 guys for three years. We were best friends. It was my family. One of them sold me out for some silver. My best, bestest friend... Denied in public three times and even knew me. Everybody else took off but one. Yeah. I know what it's like to be betrayed. Well, how about humiliated? How about full of shame? How about exposed for, for who you are? You know what that's like, God? And Jesus says, I do. They took me. They took my clothes off of me. They hung me naked in front of my entire community for half a day. And I took on all of your humiliation. I took on all of your shame. I get it. I know what that's like. Well, have you ever lived with pain? 
You ever lived with cancer? You ever lived with something that you can't even walk? <laughs> yeah. They beat me for half a day. They ripped the skin off my back. They punctured my head, my hands, my feet, my side. And they left me to die. I, I know what you're feeling. I get it. I get it. It hurts. I hate that for you. I've been there. What about just depression? Have you ever just wanted to take your own life? Have you ever just wanted to give up? God, surely Jesus didn't ever. Jesus just had a good time. Oh, I know. There's a guy named Isaiah who wrote about me. He said, I'm a man of sorrows. He called me a man of sorrows because I spent so much time in agony and grief over the condition of my children. In fact, I was so depressed one night, I had to take my deepest three, my greatest three friends and go deep, deep into a garden. And I laid on my face and I cried. I begged my daddy to not make me do something I didn't want to do. I was so upset that my capillaries burst and I sweat drops of blood. I was so depressed that dad had to send an angel. I wasn't going to make it. I'd get depression. I've been there. No matter what you and I have been through, Jesus says, I get it because I was one of you. He connects with us so that we can connect with the Father. Here's the great verse, and I'm almost done. Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I want to say that again. We do not have a God, a Savior, a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, not just some respects, not just every single area of our lives, he's been tempted as we are. Things we don't even know about happened to Jesus. He was tempted in everything. There's nothing you can say that Jesus doesn't say, I get it. But he was without sin. Is that not the greatest connection? He's been one of us. Story of a true young man who was 10. He lived in the 70s. He lived with his family outside of the suburb of Dallas, Texas. He loved to mow his yard with his dad. Every Saturday, they'd get up and mow their yard. He was about 10 and he's watching his dad. He's going to learn. Someday, he says, dad, Timmy, someday you'll learn how to I'll let you mow the grass. True story. One day, his dad wasn't there. His dad had to go to work, go into work on Saturday morning. So Timmy thought, I know what I'll do for my dad. I'll mow the grass. Mom was way back in the kitchen, punched the door, garage door comes up, rolls out the new lawnmower, fires it up, starts mowing. Dad's going to be so happy. Gets in the backyard, hits this clump. Lawnmower stops. Walks around, reaches under to take that clump out. Lawnmower cuts his hand off. True story. Mom hears a scream, runs out. They get him to the hospital. He can't save his hand. Finally, when he wakes up and comes to, without that hand, he won't talk to anybody. Won't talk to his dad, mom, buddies from school come, won't talk to them. Pastors, preachers come, won't talk to them. They don't get it. They don't know. There's no connection. The mayor of Dallas comes, tries to cheer him up, won't say a word. The Dallas Cowboys come, Staubach, Billy, all, all these guys show up, try to give him a talk, won't say a word. Three or four days go by, finally this guy shows up, older guy. He shows up, he walks in the hospital, he says to the parents, can I, can I try to talk to your son? Parents are like, why? Who are you? Are you famous? No, sir. Are you a doctor? No. Are you a therapist? No. Don't have any qualifications. But I think I can get your son to talk to me. Let's ask the doctor. Because the doctors and nurses, all of these surgeons, all these experts, I'd like to talk to Timmy. Well, who are you? You have any training? No. Why are you here? No. 
Do you have any credentials? No, I just think I can get him to talk. Please, just give me a chance. Doctor looks at the man and says, I'll give you five minutes. If he's not talking five minutes, you go out of there. And says, thank you. Goes in. Three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, six minutes. All of a sudden, the doctor and the parents are mad. They throw open the door. Timmy's sitting up talking like this, 90 miles an hour, laughing and smiling. Parents, doctor, look at this man and say, thank you. And he pulls out his stub of an arm where his hand was cut off in the Korean War and says, I thought we might have something in common. Jesus Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was scarred for us so he could connect us to God the Father. He gets us. Do you get him? Do you know him? And if you do, are you connecting him with other people? Amy Carmichael, 1930, Irish missionary who saved young girls from sex trafficking in India, fell and fractured her skull, was in bed for two decades from about 60 to 80 years old. She did her most amazing work, wrote 16 books, saved thousands of young ladies. She wrote this, and I'll close. She said, I imagine Jesus saying this prayer, this poem to me. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as a mighty person in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? But I was wounded by the archer spit. They leaned me against a tree to die. And rent by ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? And here's Jesus' question for our, us. No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have fallen far who has no wound, who has no scar? He was scarred for us. Can we connect with other people by just showing our scars? Carried and shared. Let me pray for us. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. The news of peace and salvation. The news the God of Isaac reigns. Lord, may we be willing to cross the mountains that keep us from each other. Demographics, age, politics, religion, belief. May we climb those mountains for your sake. So that we might connect. When people see our feet, may they say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. May we be a church that worships deeply, that grows tremendously, that serves off the charts, but that connects with those who don't think you get them. May they get it. We thank you for getting us. In Jesus' name, amen.